So what's in a name? If you remember, that's the question that Juliet asks out loud in scene two of one of Shakespeare's most famous plays, and then without even taking a breath, she answers her own question by saying, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So what is it a name? Well, on the day you were born, your parents gave you one, right? A name that you'll carry with you the rest of your life. Your name is how you introduce yourself to other people. It's how other people identify you. And you probably know that parents agonize and sometimes even argue over names for their children. I think we had a couple of disagreements about these two. <laughs> and maybe some of you are named after some famous person or a beloved member of your family. Some of you probably go by a nickname, one that maybe somebody hung on you for one reason or another, or maybe you use it because you really don't particularly care for your given name like I don't. Some of you maybe have special names that you call members of your family. And I don't mean the four-letter names, right? But, you know, names of endearment, names that are just family names that express love and affection. And names are special, and they should be. And if names are important and special to us in today's culture, they were even more so in biblical culture, where names were filled with meaning. Because for the people of that day, a name was more than just an identifier. It was a way of truly understanding someone's reputation or their character, or even more importantly, their place in God's plan for their life. Like, for instance, Adam means of the earth or from the dust. Abraham means father of many nations. And Isaac means laughter. You remember that story from... <laughs> You remember that story from Genesis 18 when the angel of the Lord tells Abraham and Sarah that they're going to be parents in their old age? Anybody out there want to have another kid right now? And Sarah just happens to be listening in on her husband's conversation, right? And she starts laughing, probably thinking, yeah, right, me and this old coot, right? You think we're going to have another kid? But what happens? A year later, they have a baby and they name him Isaac because of her laughter and maybe even more so because of the joy that he brought to their lives. And I give you those examples because names are right at the heart of what I want to talk to you about today. Because there's a lot of different names that are going to show up not only in our lectionary reading today, but also in the Old Testament Torah reading that we've been tracking. And if you remember, because I know I haven't been up here for a couple weeks, but if you remember what we talked about before, whenever possible, I want us to track the connections between our lectionary and the Old Testament Torah reading for today. And the reason I do that is to make sure that we see how all of Scripture is interconnected. And even more importantly, how the whole purpose of every line of Scripture is to point to the primary object of the Bible, whose name is Jesus Christ. And as we look through these collected readings for today, from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, I want you to see how knowing God's name really means understanding His glory and His mercy and his power as he reveals himself to us as the Savior of the world through the name of his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at our lectionary reading for today. If you guys have been following the lectionary, this is the one from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what Paul writes. He said, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. 
Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. But has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized into my name? Of course not. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And Paul is telling us in this passage not to get hung up on becoming divided over individual men, pastors and and teachers, whether they're intentionally trying to make a name for themselves or not. And he's saying it's idolatry to place loyalty in the name of a, a person, of a religious leader, before loyalty to Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing at all wrong with respecting and admiring a well-known pastor. And I mean, lots of them have become household names, right? Like Billy Graham or David Jeremiah or Charles Stanley. But the danger comes in when we elevate their names and their books and their ministries above the clear teaching of the Word of God. And I want to also show you today the connection between that reading in 1 Corinthians and the weekly Torah portion for this week, a reading that has exactly the same message. And it comes to us from the beginning of the Old Testament book that our Jewish brothers and sisters call Zaver Shemot. Now in English we call Shemot the book of Exodus. We call it that because the Israelites made their exodus or their departure from Egypt But in Hebrew, their books of the Bible are named after the first significant word of the text, which in this case is Velash Shemot Benai Israel, which means these are the names, the names of the sons of Israel. That's what Shemot means. It means names. Because the book of Exodus starts out by giving us a list of all the names of the people who went down to Egypt with Jacob. Let's take a look at it in Exodus 1. This is exactly how it starts out. These are the names. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. And so you see, when we start out this book of Exodus with this story and this list of individuals and these names, we leave behind the stories and the names of people like Noah and Abraham and Joseph. And we begin to follow the adventures of this new branch of the family that leads us to Moses, to Aaron, to Joshua. And, you know, when you start to read the book of Exodus, it seems like it's going to be a book about all of these people whose names are recounted. But when you get deeper into it, it turns out instead not to be a book about the names of people. Instead, it's really a book that tells us about the names of God. Because as you go through it, you would see like, for instance, in chapter 3 in the book of Exodus, where Moses is standing on holy ground in front of the burning bush, and God reveals to him his great name of I Am. I Am. In chapter 6, when God is giving Moses a pep talk about his, his journey, we learn that God appeared to those ancestors, so that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, under the name of El Shaddai, God Almighty. In chapter 20, God makes his sacred name known to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, and he says, I am the Lord your God, the God who brought you up out of the house of slavery. And this is where those threads of those texts kind of pull together, because in both readings from the Apostle Paul and from Moses in the book of Exodus, both writers 
want us to know that in God's divine plan for the world and for his chosen people, that there is salvation in only one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible has said that God has given no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Amen? And as we're gathering all here this morning, all of us from our collective homes, we're gathering in that matchless name of Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then that name is very special to you. And I have an easy way to give you just an example of how special it is, because if you think about it, that name of Jesus is in all of our song lyrics that we love to sing, isn't it? Some of our favorite renditions from the hymnal, like I wrote some down here, take the name of Jesus with you. Lord, I lift your name on high. Precious name, oh how sweet. Jesus, name above all names. His name is wonderful. And my personal favorite that we sing every, every Sunday as an intro in worship, there's just something about that name. I love that song. But if there really is something about that name, then we need to ask ourselves honestly, what does it mean to be associated with the name of Jesus and to be called by that title of Christian? Because you, you may or may not know this, but there was a time when followers of Jesus were known as something other than Christians. They weren't called Christians. And for that, we have to look at the book of Acts, chapter 9, the first two verses, which really comes right before another significant name change when Saul of Tarsus becomes the Apostle Paul. And the Bible tells us, Meanwhile, Saul, uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Followers of the way that he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So the first followers of Christ were simply known as people of the way, which is probably a reference to what Jesus said about himself in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So right from the very beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were the people of the way. We were on our way, and it started that way and remained that way until we get to the story of the early church in chapter 11 in Acts, which tells us that it was at the church at Antioch, that specific church, that the believers were first called by the name Christians. But where did they get that name from? I mean, like, did they have a big congregational meeting one day after worship at the church in Antioch, and the congregation sat around looking for names after worship, and they said, hey, let's call ourselves Christians, right? They all took a vote on it, and that's not how it happened. The several commentators agree that the name Christian was not a name that followers of Christ gave to themselves, but rather it was an insult. It was a derogatory name. It was one that tagged the followers of Jesus by non-believers originally as a name of derision or ridicule. Because you see, when unbelievers first called those followers of Jesus Christians, what they were saying to them was, we're intentionally mocking you. We're saying you people are running around like a bunch of little Christ that we crucified. You think like that Christ. You talk like that Christ. You act like that Christ. You, you live like that Christ that we killed. Why, you're nothing but a bunch of little Christians. So that name Christian means belonging to Christ. To be like Christ. And this new name caught on and was adopted by Jesus' followers as a badge of honor. And it takes on a new meaning and a different connotation. One that 
you and I need to fully embrace if we want to go around using the name of Christian because for you and me, we hold that name and that title with reverence, with love, and with honor. Now, I don't know how, how you feel about your families, but I, I'm honored to wear my family's surname. I'm honored to wear the name of my hometown in the state that I'm from. And even though I, I, I'm honored to be descended from generations and generations of German and Austrian ancestors, I am very honored to wear the name and the title of American. But the most honorable name and the best title that I get to wear is the precious name that identifies me with Jesus Christ. And that is to get to be a Christian. And although it was originally intended as a name of ridicule and mockery, being identified with the name of Christ is very special to me. And for those of you that are in Christ, I know it's special to you too. And even the Apostle Paul describes it like this, just how special that name is. He wrote in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he said, Therefore God elevated him, meaning Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a powerful verse. And brothers and sisters, today you and I wear that name. That name that is the name that every knee will bow to. Every tongue will confess. And that also means, folks, that's not going to happen in any other name like the name of Mohammed, right? Or the name of Joseph Smith. It's not going to happen in the name of Buddha. It's not going to happen in the name of Confucius or any other religious leader that has ever lived, but it will happen one day in the name of Jesus. One day the tongue of every atheist, every agnostic, every Muslim, every Hollywood actor and actress who mock the name of Jesus and ridicule the name of Jesus and curse the name of Jesus and take his holy name in vain for profit, will humbly confess through sobs of regret that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. And because we know that's true, it means you and I should never be embarrassed or ashamed to proclaim that name of Jesus, that precious name, because one day that name is going to be honored throughout the universe. And there are some ways that you and I can practically start honoring that name today. As soon as we leave this sanctuary, we can uphold the honor and the dignity of that Christian name. And one way that we can do that is by confessing Christ before all men or all people, right? Before anyone who will listen to us. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. It's a pretty sobering verse, isn't it? David Jeremiah that I mentioned earlier once said, don't ever pass up an opportunity to put in a good word for Jesus. Don't ever pass up an opportunity to put in a good word for Jesus. So let's not ever be ashamed or embarrassed or hesitant to mention that precious name no matter who we're with, whether it's our non-Christian loved ones or our friends or people we work around or our neighbors in the park or even total strangers in a restaurant when we thank God for our food before we eat. Not so we can look holy and pious and pray in public, but because we're not ashamed of our Lord. And tying into that, the other thing that we can do to uphold the honor of the Christian name is carefully guarding our Christian witness. And I think this this sermon was probably more for me than for you because I I don't always do this. Colossians 4 or 5 says, Be wise in the ways you act toward outsiders, meaning 
those who are outside of the kingdom of God, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's pretty easy to say and pretty tough to live out without the power of the Spirit, isn't it? Right? That's very condemning to me because I know that I don't always do that. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you won't need to depend on others. But can we really say that? Do people really respect how we live? Is that really playing out in our lives? And we've talked about this a lot in Bible study on Wednesday nights about how the way that you and I live our lives when we're outside the four walls of this church speak volumes to those who are outside of Christ. And that we have to remember and to understand that that name of Christian that we wear is held to a higher scrutiny than any other name that we could be associated with, right? People are watching. If people know you're a Christian, they're watching. They're watching to see your lifestyle. They're watching your habits. They're watching your work ethic. They're watching the entertainments that you enjoy. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? They're listening to the words that come out of your mouth and they're observing your attitude and they're watching how you treat people to see if you're a person who holds grudges or if you make the first effort to forgive. And that's pretty hard to do. And they're noticing, too, how you respond to adversity, how you respond to difficulties in your life. Do you respond with faith or do you respond with fear? Now, now don't get me wrong. That's why I said this points to me more than anyone else because none of us do this perfectly. Least of all me, you can ask three people sitting right over there that have to live with me every day. But every day, you and I need to be on our knees before God asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in those areas, to help us grow in all those fruits of the Spirit in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And we need to be checking ourselves to see if those things are growing in our lives. And if they're not, we need to ask God's help. All of those things that God wants to develop with us so that we can hold up that precious and powerful name of Jesus. Because it's the only name in which there's healing and restoration. It's the only name where we're going to find comfort and reconciliation and, and hope and forgiveness and peace and strength. Particularly when we call out his name in prayer. I read a story about in the early months of 1874, a very prolific writer named Lydia Baxter, she was a woman who has a bedridden invalid for much of her adult life, was talking one day to one of her friends and her caregivers, and her caregiver commented that this lady's disability never seemed to quench her faith or douse out her spiritual joy. And, and in reply, she said back to her caregiver, she said, I have a very special armor. I have a very special armor. She said, I have the name of Jesus. And when the tempter tries to make me blue, or tries to make me despondent or depressed, I mention that name of Jesus and he can't get through anymore. I love that. I mention that name of Jesus and he can't get through anymore. Where is our focus when life seems upside down? And in all of her writings, many of which were translated into him, she persistently spoke of calling on that name of Jesus as a thing that sustained her and, and cheered her, including a hymn that we all know pretty well around here, Take the Name of Jesus With You. I think we sang it two Sundays ago, or maybe three Sundays ago. It's a hymn that Mrs. Baxter wrote on her sickbed 
when she was age 65, about four years before she died. And I know you guys probably all know the words, but I think it fits really perfectly with what we've been talking about, so I'm going to share a little bit of it with you. I'm sure you guys know the words as well as I do. She wrote, Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow, and of woe it will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where'er you go. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. At the name of Jesus bowing, falling prostrate at his feet, King of kings in heaven will crown him when our journey is complete. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we ask you to help us complete this journey that we've started on. Lord, we ask you to show us how you would have us honor that holy name. We ask, Father, for strength for the weakness of our faith. We ask you, Father, to forgive us for all the times that we profane your name with our words and with our actions and with our careless attitudes. And we ask you, Father, to lead us at last to that strong and mighty tower, that mighty fortress, that matchless, precious, wonderful name of Jesus, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.